Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are all well witches. On today's episode, we are going to be looking again at the topic of mirrors and scrying. Our book review today is Rebel Folklore, Empowering Tales of Spirits, Witches and Other Misfits from Anansi to Baba Yaga, written by our fabulous folklorist, Icy Sedgwick, who came onto the show recently. This book is illustrated by Melissa Jarum. This book is absolutely stunning. A large neon-coloured hardback book. It has these beautiful raised images on the front. It is so tactile. I can't stop touching the cover when I pick it up. It's like a wonderful coffee table, altar book. Illustrations are on practically every page throughout the book as Icy retells the lore of spirits, witches and misfits such as Robin Hood, the Kaliak, the Banshee, Selkies, Baba Yaga, the Bell Witch, Lalarona, Jin, the Bunyip, and Nancy. That is just a small fraction of the characters within this book that I know of. There are a plethora of other folklore legends hailing from Europe, North America, Asia, Africa, South America. We go all over the globe. And Icy bravely has taken on tales from all across the world, delivering some wonderful research, snapshots into these legends, something she is renowned for with her wonderful podcast, Fabulous Folklore. I've been listening to that podcast for years. She is truly talented. For me, this book feels like a storybook for adults that can be sat and enjoyed in spurts or read all in one go. But for me, I like to sit and read about a singular legend, mull over their tale, along with looking at the pictures. For me, as someone who regularly references folklore, I had no knowledge of much of these tales, so it was really refreshing to get into this book. I particularly enjoyed the book's introduction that goes into exactly what folklore is and why it can be important for us to read these tales with their original contexts in mind. Here is a short section from the intro that discusses how valuable these tales can be for us. Consider these tales as introductions to 50 fascinating figures from folklore. Each profile provides an overview. 
examples of their stories and an exploration of their continuing value in the 21st century. The profiles are a way to start a conversation with each figure. So if one of them speaks to your heart, seek them out and learn more about them from their culture of origin. The wonderful illustrations throughout this book are interpretive, based on the myriad of versions of each story rather than traditional portrayals. Many of these characters have no definitive version thanks to the fluid nature of folklore, but hopefully they will help you encounter these figures in a different form. There are far more figures within folklore around the world than we could ever include here, so you'll also find a list of recommended reading and listening with which to explore further via experts, storytellers and folklorists. But let's get started with these remarkable rebels. Perhaps these figures will mirror your own struggles, desires, ambitions and victories. If they don't, they may still offer advice to help you get where you want to go. Absolute gold are the references to other podcasts, other storytellers and so on within the book. There are so many other resources. I'm also going to refer to you after reading this book, tons that I've never come across also. Absolutely love this book, cannot recommend it enough. So proud of you, I see. Well done. <laughs> Before we move into the main section of our podcast today, which does delve into a lot of folklore, I just want to let you know that over on Patreon this month, our Witches Institute Coven Gathering will be held on Thursday, 28th September from 7.30pm and is called Hexes and O's with a look at black and grey magic, hexes, curses and jinxes due to popular demand, a discussion amongst the coven that has been much requested in our witchy community. You can sign up to Patreon for just £6 per month and here you will receive Patreon podcasts, grimoire pages for the White Witch podcast, Hedge Witch studies on crystals, herbs, power animals and trees, meditations, folklore retellings, access to our large, very friendly witchcraft community, our witchy book club, the Literary Witches Coven, if you want to read along a book with us for the month, and our monthly coven gathering. And if you change your mind at any time, you can cancel at the push of a button. So for now, join me after the break to talk all about scrying. Welcome back. So I just need to start off by saying, witches, I am not an expert on scrying by any means. This is something that I have tried a couple of occasions, but I found it very interesting and very beneficial. So it is something that I wanted to get a lot deeper into in regards to my own practice. So I thought it would be a good topic for the podcast. Scrying mirrors can be used as a powerful psychic tool. 
It can bring hidden knowledge and clairvoyant ability and can act as a portal to other planes of existence, invoke entities, spirits, and to better visualize your aura. It allows communication with higher realms and the subconscious. You can use it to contact spirit guides and to divine the past, present, and future. The word scrying is said to come from the old English word descry, meaning to catch sight of or to make out dimly. In the simplest terms, scrying is peering into a surface, usually one imbued with mystical energy to see images or symbols that you then interpret meaning from. Scrying can be used as a form of self-reflection, much like tarot, a means to find a new perspective on something or someone. It could be said that the symbols and images you see are manifested by you as you struggle to understand the difference between conscious and unconsciousness. A scrying mirror is usually black in colour. Its glassy appearance is said to make it easier for the seeker to slip between the states of consciousness needed. Black is easier on the eyes, which allows the seeker to gaze for a longer period of time. A scrying mirror should be just used for that. It is considered a portal that you need to be able to control what comes through and when. Some witches believe you shouldn't allow anyone else but your own image to reflect upon it and that only its owner should ever touch it. Also, that it should be used often if we want to tune in with it. The more we use it, the more we will be able to tune in with it. And when not using it, to be sure to cover it, again, due to it being considered a portal. You may also wish to charge your mirror under the full moon. Now, I need to say here that I have done scrying and simply used a mirror in my house. I haven't dedicated one purely to scrying, but here I am learning this today. <laughs> so here is how to create and enchant a scrying mirror. And I'll put in the show notes all the links to all the information used for this podcast episode. So for this, you will need a framed mirror black spray paint. You may want to make this into a ritual and use some dragon's blood ink. You may wish to use a quill or a stick, a black candle and some anointing oil. Change this up as you see fit. You might want to use a white candle if you don't have a black one. Again, do as you will. Take your mirror out of the frame and spray paint the mirrors back black. Whilst the mirror is drying, you might wish to anoint your candle. And of course, you could add any herbs and so on as well, if you so wish. Once the paint is dry on your mirror, light your candle and using a quill or stick dipped into the dragon's blood ink, you can write on the mirror's painted side any words that you choose. These are some that I came across. And again, I will put the link in the show notes. Sands of time yet to fall. Let me see you hear my call. Lost in time, you won't stay. In this glass, show me the way. 
Sands of time that have fell, let me see you come out the well. Lost in time, you won't stay. In this mirror, show me the way. As you write this, know that it isn't essential that you can read it again. It's actually better that you can't. The words will be there, but invisible. Now, when the ink is dry, take your projective finger, which I believe is your right index finger, and anoint, or any finger that you feel is the most powerful, but for me, it would be my right index finger, and anoint the edges of the glass with oil. Place the glass back into the frame with the unpainted side facing out, which will be the side that you scry into. When not in use, cover with a cloth. So this is from the website Morgana the Warboy's Witch to charge and consecrate a scrying mirror. Make an infusion of mugwort and whilst it's still warm, strain it. Bathe your mirror in the infusion and chant the following nine times. Mirror, mirror, black as night, grant me the gift of hidden sights. Show me the answers that I seek. Solutions into minds I leak. I hate that word. Mirror, mirror, black as night. Grant to me precious insight. Again, I'll link that in the show notes. As you are chanting, envision the mirror awakening to you and your psychic abilities. It is widely believed that it is best to scry at night as the practice is closely tied to the energy of the moon. A calm, dark night is best due to less distractions around. So to use the scrying mirror, place it against the wall or have it laid out on a table where you hover above it. It is best not to hold the mirror so that you can focus on the task in hand without feeling its heaviness. It's best to find somewhere to scry that is quite clear so that there is very little around you, nothing or very little reflecting back to you within the mirror. So turn off all the lights in the room that you're in and you can use a candle, moonlight or perhaps a dim nightlight to aid in the viewing process. But it is said that you shouldn't let it reflect back to you from the mirror. Some accounts said that to divine, you should situate the mirror where nothing reflects in it. Even we must not reflect within it. So before you start your scrying session, you might want to take some methods to protect yourself, be it through casting your circle, perhaps speaking a prayer, calling in your guides, deities, ancestors, angels, whoever you work with. Take some time to calm your mind and that once you feel ready, start to gaze into the mirror's center with minimal blinking, even that makes me want to blink, looking deeply into the mirror, not just the mirror's surface and look to still your mind and focus on keeping it blank, easier said than done, but possible, so that it is more receptive to images or insights. But you could also stick with one thought that is persistent 
in your mind and see what arises from that. It is said that it is easier to scry if you have a regular meditation process. Everybody right now is just going, oh, as this is said to open your third eye and make it easier to slip in and out of this mental state. So I failed at the first hurdle, but I will work on that. <laughs> so be sure not to strain your eyes as you look into the mirror and allow your eyes to focus gently. And you might want to set an intention or ask a question to see images upon the mirror. Continue to focus on one spot and try to not allow your eyes to wander. And it is said as always that practice makes perfect and that with more practice, your eyes will get better at adjusting. You can hold your gaze and focus for longer amounts of time. You might also want to have amethyst around you. It is said that is a very good crystal to have around you for a scrying practice. After time, you may begin to feel a sense of calm and relaxation that is said to indicate you are entering a more trance-like state. So you might see the mirror begin to look as though it is clouding over, has a milky, foggy or rippling appearance. It kind of gets a little bit weird, obviously, with fixating on a certain spot on the mirror. And this can be an indication of images about to appear. They may appear at a distance, and if that happens, it is said that you have the ability to ask them mentally to come closer. To keep an open mind and make a mental note of any ideas, flashes of inspiration or objects that come up for you and that it's okay to not understand them in the moment. You can always revisit them later. So whilst you're concentrating on one spot, it is said that your focus will likely travel in the sense of beyond the mirror. In the beginning, it's usually just a couple of feet. This distance can grow with practice and that you can focus on this so that you can see hundreds or thousands of feet. So it is said that for the first time of scrying that you should limit it to around 10 to 15 minutes, that it is possible that you might see visions on your first try, but it is very possible on your first attempts that you won't see anything but not to be discouraged because practice will lead to improvement. As you grow more comfortable, you can scry for longer periods of time, which can allow you to reach further inside yourself and gain greater insights. So when you're finished with your scrying ritual, you might wish to close your eyes and say it is done before blowing out a candle if you are using one. You may wish to thank and let your deities, angels and so on that you have called in know that you are finishing up and thank them for joining you. It is said that you should ensure that your scrying mirror is covered up because obviously this is a preferential access for the passage of various spirits from other worlds to ours. And that you should cleanse your mirror periodically, perhaps by the full moon or by smoke cleansing. 
You can recharge your mirrors with your intentions and energy regularly. So you might want to jot down any perceptions or feelings that you came across in your scrying session once you were done, perhaps in your book of shadows or a journal, and that it is good to do this promptly after the session has finished so that things are fresh in your memory. After this, you might want to ground because it can leave you feeling a little bit floaty, maybe by having a bath, eating a meal, having a sweet tea, something like that. So from a non-magical perspective, scrying is said to help you with a heightened sense of self-awareness, which makes it easier to make decisions. It allows you to communicate more clearly and honestly and can lead to less stress and anxiety. It can be a great form of introspection. One of the greatest scryers in history is said to be 16th century English mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, teacher, occultist and alchemist John Dee. Elizabeth first referred to him as my philosopher and he served her as a court astronomer and advisor. He spent much of his time on alchemy, divination and hermetic philosophy. That sounds like my favourite hobbies. Anyway, Dee eventually left Elizabeth's service and went on a quest for additional knowledge in the deeper realms of the occult and supernatural. He aligned himself with several individuals who may have been charlatans that travelled through Europe. He was accused of spying for the English crown. Upon his return to England, he found his home and library vandalised. He was said to have an amazing library and he eventually returned to the Queen's service but was turned away when she was succeeded by James I. He died in poverty in London and his gravesite is unknown. So in 1582, John Dee met Edward Kelly, who acted as his medium and researcher into the occult. Dee worked with Kelly in communion with the angelic realm and contact with divine spirits. John Dee had a scrying mirror. It was made of polished obsidian shaped into a hand mirror. And this infamous mirror has been traced back to origins in the Aztec Empire. Now it is believed this mirror was brought back to Europe from Mexico. His obsidian mirror seems to have been given many different names. So one account advised it was called a clawed glass. Another account advised John Dee called it his jet shrewstone. This black glass mirror was stored in a shark skin case. Now a clawed glass was normally used by artists, travellers and connoisseurs of landscape and it is named after the artist Claude Lorraine who lived from 1600 to 1682 a 17th century landscape painter whose name is synonymous with the artistic movement. It is believed that D used his claw. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Glass as a crystal ball to look into the future. There is a paper label that remains to this day that accompanied the mirror with the handwriting of Sir Horace Walpole, who acquired the mirror in 1771. The text begins, the black stone into which Dr. D used to call his spirits, and he later added, Kelly was Dr. D's associate. I believe this is up to date and that the mirror is now kept within the Enlightenment Gallery at the British Museum in London. So Kelly would use this mirror to summon spirits and he would see visions of angels that communicated with him and Dee and Kelly would transcribe. So Dee owned many different tools linked to astrology, divination, alchemy and the exploration of demonic and angelic magic. Another possession that John Dee had was a clear-cut purple crystal attached to a chain and ring. Dee claimed that the crystal was given to him by Angel Uriel in 1582, who instructed him and his assistant Edward Kelly on how to make the Philosopher's Stone, every alchemist's ultimate goal. He believed that he had an ability to contact angels and spirits and claimed that angels had dictated several books to him. This crystal was passed down to Dee's son, Arthur Dee, who gave it to Nicholas Culpepper as a reward for curing his liver illness. So Culpepper, and I know we've mentioned his name a few times on the podcast, he was a physician and an alchemist who apparently used it to cure illnesses until 1651, when he claimed a demonic ghost emerged from it. John Dee was said to have become strongly interested in spirit communication when he started having troublesome dreams and hearing knocking sounds, which he kept a record of within his private diary. He had a particular interest in trying to communicate with angels, the actual scrying of Enochian magic was recorded in his book, Quinti Libri Mysteriorum. So Enochian is a occult constructed language that John Dee and Edward Kelly were said to have received from angels. One account I read was of John Dee being instructed by angels to create a scrying table that these different items were placed on. They advised him to have the table created from sweetwood and it had to be two cubits in all directions, a magical square of 12 Enochian letters 
occupied the centre of the table. Nostradamus, French prophet, who lived from 1503 to 1566, used a scrying method familiar to ancient Greece, a scrying bowl filled with water and herbs. Erica Cheatham describes Nostradamus's technique of placing a brass bowl of water upon a tripod in her book, The Prophecies of Nostradamus. He would gaze upon this water until he perceived a slight flame out of the emptiness. It is through this perceived illumination that Nostradamus gained insight for his predictions about momentous future events. He recorded these predictions in a book of poetic verses. He wrote in poetic quatrains within which were cryptic references to future events. In his days, it was contrary to the law to work as a magician. His predictions were veiled to allow him to fly under the radar in that sense. The very first two quatrains of his book say sitting alone at night in secret study. It is placed on the brass tripod. A slight flame comes out of the emptiness and makes successful that which should not be believed in vain. The wand in the hand is placed in the middle of the tripod's legs. With water, he sprinkles both the hem of his garment and his foot. A voice, fear, he trembles in his robes. Divine splendour, the god sits nearby. It is said that Nostradamus predicted the Twin Towers bombings, the French Revolution, the Great Fire of London, the death of Henry II, to name but a few things. The earliest historical reference to scrying came from ancient Babylonia. The people of that region scried by reading water held in a bowl, a practice now known as lechanomancy. Oil was placed in the water and movements and shapes were read. There were other regions of Mesopotamia where flour was used in place of oil. In later times, the practice evolved and plain water was used. Lechanomancy is a form of hydromancy, which is reading water. However, in early forms, it was the oil and flour being read, not the water. Another ancient reference to scrying came from a Persian text from the 10th century titled Shanama. It referenced a divination object that was used in even more ancient Persia, the cup of Jamshid. The cup is said to have first been used in Persepolis, which existed from 518 to 330 BCE. And in some Shanama translations, the cup is a globe. So coming back to our mirrors, let us look at Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary is a legend of a ghost, phantom or spirit conjured to reveal the future. She is said to appear in a mirror when her name is chanted repeatedly. The Bloody Mary apparition may be benign or malevolent, depending on historic variations of the legend. Bloody Mary is thought to have evolved from old mirror divination rituals. 
In a footnote to his 1786 poem, Halloween, Robert Burns described a mirror ritual used in Britain for the purpose of a person, typically a woman, seeking the face of their future spouse. This continued in European folklore up to the 20th century with Halloween greetings cards being produced with pictures of this ritual. Historically, the divination ritual encouraged young women to walk up a flight of stairs backwards, holding a candle and a hand mirror in a darkened house. As they gazed into the mirror, they were supposed to be able to catch a view of their future husband's face. There was, however, a chance that they would see a skull or the face of the Grim Reaper instead, indicating that they were going to die before they would have the chance to marry. In the ritual of today, Bloody Mary allegedly appears to individuals or groups who ritualistically invoke her name in an act of catoptromancy. Catoptromancy is from the ancient Greek for mirror and divination, also known as captromancy or enoptromancy, and it is divination using a mirror. Pausanias, an ancient Greek traveller, described as follows. Before the temple of Ceres at Patras, there was a fountain separated from the temple by a wall, and there was an oracle, very truthful, not for all events, but for the sick only. The sick person let down a mirror suspended by a thread till its base touched the surface of the water, having first prayed to the goddess and offered incense. Then, looking into the mirror, he saw the presage of death or recovery, according as the face appeared fresh and healthy or of a ghastly aspect. In ancient Rome, the priests who used catoptromancy were called speculari. The Bloody Mary ritual is said to be done by repeatedly chanting her name into a mirror placed in a dimly lit or candlelit room. I've never done this, by the way. The name must be uttered 13 times or some other specified number of times. The Bloody Mary apparition allegedly appears as a corpse, witch or ghost that can be friendly or evil and is sometimes seen covered in blood, hence the name. The law surrounding the ritual states that participants may endure the apparition screaming at them, cursing them, strangling them, stealing their soul, drinking their blood or scratching their eyes out. Some variations of the ritual call Bloody Mary by a different name. Hail Mary and Mary Worth are popular examples. So just a little heads up at this point, which is it is going to get quite gory. We are going to be talking about real bloodbaths, loss of babies, enslaved people being tortured. I'm trying to make it as minimally violent as possible just to give you as many facts as I can. But you may not wish to listen in from this point onwards. I will rein in the gore as much as possible. Some believe Bloody Mary is based on Mary Queen of Scots, Queen Mary I of England, who was referred to as Bloody Mary for centuries by the Protestants. 
given the name for she burned around 280 Protestants during her reign. Queen Mary I was the only child of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. At age 37, she took on the throne and was determined to provide an heir during her reign after marrying Philip II of Spain. She appeared to be pregnant two months after they were wed. However, her due date came and went without a baby. Rumours emerged she had been delivered of a mole or lump of flesh, which could have been a molar pregnancy, a non-viable pregnancy. It was believed she suffered many fake pregnancies like this, and she believed it was a punishment for what she had done to many Protestants. She would eventually die at 42 in the year 1558, possibly from uterine or ovarian cancer, sadly childless. So it is said that sightings in the mirror of Bloody Mary could be her ghost searching for her baby. Some accounts are of her being with a baby. In some rituals, it is said summoners would taunt her apparition by saying, I stole your baby or I killed your baby. Bloody Mary, I killed your baby. This also links to another backstory of Bloody Mary being the ghost of a mother whose children were murdered. There are so many variances of this tale. Mary Worth is another version of Bloody Mary. Mary Worth was said to live in the forest and be known locally for selling tinctures and herbal remedies a real hedge witch in every sense. All the locals were said to be wary and fearful of her, that she would curse them or their animals. Those who relied on her and her remedies were often shunned. One variance of her legend claims Mary Worth was a witch executed in the Salem witch trials. Generally, any details regarding her, and if she even did exist, are hazy at best. In the Lake County Journal, it was claimed Mary Worth was a local of Wadsworth, Illinois, who was part of the Reverse Underground Railroad, and that she would bring in enslaved people under false pretenses and send them back down south to make herself some money. She was also said to have tortured and killed enslaved people as part of her witchy rituals until the locals discovered this and killed her. One story claims she was burnt at the stake and another by being lynched. She was said to have claimed when being killed that should anyone dare speak her name in a mirror, they would be haunted by her. Possibly she was just a hedge witch that was out in the woods, minding her business, Booked and busy with her herbal remedies, but in the words of our Lord and Saviour Kanye, I guess we'll never know. One story relating to Mary Worth is the miller's daughter. One night, a poor girl was captivated by a mysterious noise that only she could hear. Whilst her mum was sitting up in bed treating a very bad toothache, using, as luck would have it, a herbal tincture that she'd bought from Mary Worth. The miller's wife was very frightened and shouted for her husband to come and help and follow her daughter. They were shouting at her daughter for her to come back, but to no avail. 
It was almost as though she was following an unspoken and unseen force. Getting the help of a few townsfolk, the town farmer noticed that there was a light at the edge of the woods. When they got closer, they noticed again that Mary Worth was standing in a clearing next to a huge oak tree. She was holding a wand, pointing it towards the miller's home and was almost glowing with an unnatural light and the miller's daughter was headed straight toward that light. It's fair to say that most people imagined Mary Worth as a witch or some other type of supernatural being. Once the farmers and the miller's father noticed just what Mary Worth was doing, they set upon her with pitchforks and guns. And when she realised that everyone from the village knew what she was, she broke the spell and made for the forest. Quickly loading his gun with silver bullets in the event that Mary ever decided to turn her attention towards his daughter, he fired a shot and caught her in the hip. She was caught, kicking, thrashing and screaming and tied to a stake and a bonfire was promptly built so that this supposed witch could be gone for good. As she was burning, she set a curse upon the villagers and told them that if they ever dared to utter her name in a mirror, she would be back for them. Her spirit would return to wherever they summoned her from to exact her revenge. Unfortunately for the villagers with missing children, when they got back home to the village and returned to Mary's house and did a proper search, they found what they were looking for rows and rows of unmarked graves. It seemed that she'd been using the blood of their children to make herself more youthful. This is giving me the beginning of Hocus Pocus vibes. Although we will never know whether Mary Worth existed, we do know Elizabeth Ballery did, Another Bloody Mary legend who was given the nickname Queen of Blood and convicted of murdering hundreds of young girls supposedly to bathe in their blood. A Hungarian noblewoman, she was charged with killing at least 80 girls and young women between 1590 and 1610. She was rumoured to have subjected them to torture by sewing their lips shut beating them with clubs and burning them with hot irons. She apparently bathed in their blood to maintain a youthful appearance. There was a witness at her trial who claimed to see her diary that stated she had killed around 650. Her defenders argued that the charges against her were fabricated because the king owed her husband debts. Again, I guess we will never know if these women were indeed bad eggs. To summarise, the following account is from the website Folklore Thursday, written by Joseph Stubbersfield. He is an honorary research fellow in the Anthropology Department of Durham University here in the UK. This is written up so perfectly. I felt I couldn't do it justice and needed to give him a huge shout out. This is some amazing information in regards to the subject of Bloody Mary. I will link this in the show notes also. The legends themselves can be separated into three parts. A backstory for the ghost, the ritual and the result of the summoning. 
There is a wide range of variation in these elements, even when just looking at Western English language versions. Most frequently, the supernatural entity is a ghost named Mary or Bloody Mary. Other variations include Mary Worth, Mary Wales and Black Agnes. She is sometimes linked to the historical figures of Mary Queen of Scots or Queen Mary I of England and Ireland, who was nicknamed Bloody Mary by Protestants in the 16th century, or local folkloric figures such as the Bell Witch, a regional variation specific to Tennessee, USA. Her backstory often involves being the victim of violence, such as being the ghost of a woman executed for witchcraft, a female student murdered by teachers, or a beautiful woman who was disfigured. She is also sometimes depicted as the ghost of a woman whose children were murdered, occasionally with a direct link to La Llorona, the weeping woman of Hispanic folklore. At its most basic, the ritual involves reciting a summoning phrase, often the ghost's name repeated three times, in front of a mirror in a dimly lit room. The phrase sometimes relates to the backstory, for example, Bloody Mary, I killed your baby, links to the backstory of Bloody Mary being the ghost of a mother whose children were murdered. The ritual can also involve more complex elements such as lighting candles, turning around, throwing water over the mirror or flushing a toilet. Means of protection or escape are sometimes offered, such as turning on a light or using a protective ring of salt. The summoning is typically said to result in violent injury or death. This can range from fingernail scratches on the body or face to eyes being scratched out or decapitation. Others have the summoner tested with holding the ghost's baby. If it cries, they receive a violent death. If not, they are saved. Of particular relevance to the Bloody Mary legend is a perceptual illusion discovered by psychologist Giovanni Caputo in 2010. Caputo found that staring at your own reflection in a dimly lit room results in the perception of strange faces, often including monstrous beings. Archetypal faces such as babies or old women or the faces of deceased relatives. Caputo suggests that this strange face in the mirror illusion is caused by dim lights producing fluctuations in the stability of the perceived definition of the face, which is then overinterpreted as another person by our cognitive system for face recognition. The rituals for summoning Bloody Mary, as well as much older mirror divination, consistently require the person to look into a mirror in a dimly lit room. It is easy to imagine that when primed with a scary story, the strange face illusion could produce some genuinely terrifying perceptual effects. Whatever the historical or psychological origins of the Bloody Mary legend, the story has survived for decades across the world and persists to this day.
Do you dare call on her this Halloween? I don't know about Halloween, son. I'm getting right on that this weekend. No, I could never, genuinely. I'm such a wuss and I just, know You stay where you are, Mary. Whatever version you are, you just stay right there in your mirror. I am good. That is all I have for you today, witches. I am so amazed at how many different historical, magical association the mirror has. Genuinely, when I went down this rabbit hole, I was not expecting this. I will catch up with you all soon, witches. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm sending you lots and lots of witchy love. Mm -hmm.